Well, we have talked many times uh, in the Gospel of Luke, as we've been in the Gospel of Luke now for almost a year and a half. Uh, we've talked several times about the cost of following Jesus. Uh, we've talked about uh, Jesus desiring our whole hearts. We've talked about Jesus desiring our willingness to, to give up whatever it costs to follow Him. And so, a question for us, because it's another topic for today, uh, from the text in Luke 18, a question for us to ask and to be considering as we work through this is, what has our heart? Ask yourself that uh, as we think about this text. What has my heart? What is it that I treasure most in this world? Our sermon is titled, Jesus, the Savior who desires our whole heart. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 18. I'm going to read the text and I'm going to pray for us. Luke 18, starting in verse 18, going through 34. A ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. I have kept all these from my youth, he said. When Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing. Sorry, I lost my place. You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. Seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Then who can be saved? He replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Then Peter said, Look, we have left what we had and followed you. So he said to them, truly, I tell you, there is none. There is no one who has left a house, wife or brothers or sisters, parents or children because of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more at this time and eternal life in the age to come. Then he took the twelve aside and told them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem Everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, spit on, and after they flog him, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day. They understood none of these things. The meaning of the saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word as we do each week. We confess it as true and we ask that you help us. 
Lord, through your Holy Spirit, work in us. Help us believe and help us respond accordingly as you have called us to. Help us examine ourselves today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we work our way through this text, I want us to uh, look at uh, the text in a, from the stance of the, the idols of our heart. I ask the question of what has our hearts? What is it that we treasure most in this world? And the reality is there is a temptation for all of us to treasure things in our lives above God. And so uh, those things would be called idols of our hearts. Things that we are treasuring more than the Lord. And so as we work through the text, we're going to see uh, what Jesus came to do and what he did accomplish uh, in order to address the idols of our hearts. The first thing that we see in this text is this. Jesus confronts the idols of our hearts. Jesus confronts the idols of our hearts. He's not okay just letting us hold things in our hearts and treasuring things in our lives more than God. And so he steps into that and confronts those things. Back in 18, verse 18 through 23, a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. I have kept all these from my youth, he said. When Jesus heard this, he told him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. So this is not the first time that Jesus has been asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is the second time in the Gospel of Luke that he was asked this. Now the first time was a little bit different context. The first time was a Pharisee, and the text said that he did this in order to test Jesus, right? That we, and we saw that we, throughout the Gospels regularly, the Pharisees asking questions of Jesus, uh, trying to kind of knock holes in his message, trying to uh, get him to say something or do something that they could then say, see, he's not who you think he is. So previously, a Pharisee asked him as a way to test Jesus. Here, a rich ruler asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? His uh, intent is not to test Jesus. He's genuine in the request. What is it that I need to do? He wants to do the right thing. And so he asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to, to, uh, to inherit eternal life? However, in that question, we see a problem with his logic. Because the 
ruler thinks this is something that he can accomplish, right? This is something that he can do if he does the right thing or does enough of the right things, then he will have eternal life. He will have this blessed life, uh, blessed afterlife. And so Jesus is going to, one, help him understand that there's nothing that he can do, but he's also going to, more importantly, confront the idols in his heart, the things that he is treasuring above God. And so in verse 19, Jesus says, well, why is it, first off, why is it that you're calling me good? Only God is good. This is a question not denying his divinity. It's actually a question trying to make sure that the rich ruler knows who he's talking to. Only God is good, and yet you have called me good. Why do you think that is? Jesus is making the point. Do you, are you sure? Do you understand who it is? Right? He's talking to the Son of God. He is talking to the divine Son who existed eternally with the Father. And He says, you've called me good, and only God is good. And then He... T- tells him, well, you know what you're supposed to do, right? You've heard the, the laws, you know the commandments. And he goes through a list of those commandments. And they are all the commandments. So if you remember in our t- instructions on, our teaching on the, uh, the Ten Commandments, the first four of those are dealing with our relationship with God And then the last of them, the rest of them, are dealing with our relationships with other people. And the ones that Jesus points out, the laws that he uh, tells this man, are all the laws or the commandments that that deal horizontally, deal with the people. Don't commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. There's a reason why he doesn't bring up any of the uh, commandments that deal with his relationship to God, because he's going to get to that in just a minute. And so he says, you know, you know what's required of you. Follow the laws, follow what you're told to do, what God has commanded his people to do. And the man says, well, I've done every single one of those. And I've kept them from a really young age. I've been faithful to, like, I haven't done any of those things. And I've honored my father and mother like I'm supposed to. Since I was a child, I've done all of those things. And so, Jesus then confronts the real issue. So, this was a faithful individual. If he's being honest in this setting, he's saying, I've. I follow the commandments. I've done what I'm supposed to. And Jesus is going to confront, yeah, but there's something wrong. There is an area that you need to address. He doesn't say to the man, well, then it sounds like you're doing a pretty good job. Keep it up. He says, you lack one thing. There's something that's interfering with your relationship with God. And so he says, here's what you need to do then. You need to sell everything that you have, 
distribute it to the poor, give it to the needy. And then he gives him a promise. You'll have treasure in heaven if you do that. And then once you've done that, come and follow me. He's confronting the man's idol, the idols of his heart. It says that he becomes extremely sad because he was very rich. The, the thing that Jesus says, there, there's something that's keeping you from God, and that is you've got something in, that you've put in God. There's something that you're treasuring more than the Lord. So you want eternal life. You want salvation. You're going to have to let go of that idol. You're going to have to let go of the idol of your heart. And then follow me. That's how you'll have salvation, is letting go of what it is that you've put in place of the Lord that never should have been put in place of the Lord. See, this man's heart was set on the things of this world. That's why he was sad. That's why he was extremely sad. It's he was treasuring the things that he had. He was treasuring his wealth more than God. And so the idea of letting go of that, when he was putting all of his hope and hinging all of his joy on these things, the idea of letting go of all of that in order to have salvation terrified him. And so he leaves... Jesus here is making it clear. He wants our whole heart, right? He wants everything from us. Remember when he was asked about the greatest command, and in Mark 12, verse 29, Jesus answered, The most important is, listen, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love the Lord with your whole being. Give the Lord everything that you've got. Treasure Him over everything. That statement in Mark 12 sums up the first part of the Ten Commandments, of not having any other God, of not making any idols, of not taking the Lord's name in vain. It's saying, worship the Lord and the Lord alone. This man asked the question because he truly did want eternal life. However, for this man, his possessions were his God. They were his idol. He treasured them more than God. So what about us? I don't want us to dismiss. There's a greater context that we're going to get to, but I don't want us to dismiss the danger that money and material things can pose to our faith, can pose to our following the Lord and treasuring the Lord. See, I used to think that money was not really a problem for me because I didn't have very much of it. And I thought, well, that's, you know, I'm not, I'm not in this condition where this would be a problem. But 
there is a reality we have to keep in mind that how much we have or how little we have has nothing to do with whether we're putting our hope in it, whether we've turned it into an idol. And so I asked, as I was thinking about that reality, I asked some questions and I thought I would pose these same questions to you because this is a message for me. How much time do you and I spend thinking about things that we have or things that we want to have? How much time do you spend thinking about the things that you do have or the things that you want to have? Are we living outside of our means? How much credit card debt? That, was, that should have been an indicator to me when I had this distorted view of uh, money's not uh, an issue for me. I obviously don't treasure money because I don't have very much of it. I had tons of credit card debt at that time. That should have been an indicator that there was a problem in my heart. Do you spend time stressing over your retirement account? How faithful are you in giving to the church, giving back to God? These are questions for us to ask. Not because I want to make you feel bad about yourselves. Because the Lord is saying, I want your whole heart. Not because how much we give or how much we uh, you know, do is going to earn our salvation. We can't do that. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But the Lord is calling us to say, like, stop treasuring the things of this world over me. Now, so taking it in a broader context, because it's important that we don't just look at this as from a financial standpoint, because we can make idols out of so much in this world. We can treasure so many things in this world more than God. And we, in a sense, worship them. And we may not think that because we're not praying to them. We're not singing songs to them, but our treasuring of them is a form of worship. So it's not just our money and possessions that we can put in place of God. Sometimes it could be our family. Sometimes it could be our jobs or our status, our position. It could be countless things that we are treasuring more than the Lord. Calvin says, John Calvin says, our hearts are idle factories. Because of sin, we are constantly creating new things to treasure above the Lord. And so, this text, yes, he's talking about finances with the rich ruler. But this text is a, is a call for all of us to examine our lives and examine our hearts. Are there things that I've put in your place, God? Are there things that I am actually treasuring more than the Lord? That I spend more time on than spending time with the Lord? So let's remember, Jesus wants our whole hearts. 
He confronts the idols of our hearts. He stepped into this situation knowing the heart of the ruler and wasn't content letting him continue to pursue and chase after things that could do nothing for him. He confronted the idols that he had because he wants to do something for him. And that's the same truth for us. The Lord wants to rescue us from the the idols that we've put in His place. So that takes us to the second point. Jesus can save us from the idols of our hearts. Jesus can save us from the idols of our hearts. See, there's nothing in this world that we put our hope in, that we treasure. There's not one thing in this world that can offer salvation to us. It's temporary pleasures at best. But Jesus comes in to this broken world and He offers salvation. He offers rescue from the idols that we have, the things that we are treasuring above God. So, let's look at verse 24 to 27. Back in Luke 18. Seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, How hard is it? I'm sorry, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Then who could be saved? And he replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. So Jesus says it's hard for the, the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And then he's going to use hyperbole to make, uh, to make the point. Uh, he says, think about a needle with how tiny the eye of that needle is. It is actually easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to inherit the kingdom of God, to go into the kingdom of God. This was hyperbole. He was trying to make the point. Because if you think about that, there's no way that a camel can fit through the eye of a needle. And there's no way for a wealthy person to earn the kingdom of God. But... There's a a greater truth to that, and we're going to get to that in just a second. That's a truth that that applies to every single one of us. There's not any way on our own that we can get into the kingdom of God. It's not something that we can do. Remember, that's the question that the rich ruler asked. What do I need to do so that I can have eternal life? What do I need to do so that I can be saved? And the truth is, on our end of it, There's nothing that we can do. We can't merit getting into the kingdom of God. But there's really good, good news for every single one of us. So you hear that and you think, well, what's it all for? The good news is that's why Jesus came. He came so that we could be brought into the kingdom of God. He came to save us from all the things that we were putting in place of God. Salvation is a work of God. 
Now there is a reality that the wealthy, there can be a temptation to forget that God is the one who does everything for our salvation. The Lord in Deuteronomy warns His people against letting our wealth cause us to forget who He is and what He has done for us. And so in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 12 through 14 and then 17 and 18, we see this. When you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in and your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold multiply and everything else you have increases, be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget that your God, that the Lord your God who brought you up out of this land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, and then skim down to verse 17 and 18, you may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. God warned His people about this because God knows that's something that we will do. We will start to treasure things and we'll forget that the Lord is the one who has taken care of us. We'll think we've brought this security to ourselves. The disciples, of course, are shocked by this. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The disciples are shocked. Well, here's a man who has followed all the laws like he is so he's an important person he's some type of ruler in the city and he says i've been faithful to the laws of god and he's clearly been blessed by god because he has all of this wealth if that guy can't get in if that guy isn't good enough to get into the kingdom of heaven then who in the world has any chance And Jesus teaches us the important truth for us to understand about salvation. We can't do it, but God can. God in His goodness and grace can. And so Jesus says to them, what is impossible with man is possible with God. It's completely impossible for any one of us to earn salvation, no matter what we do, no matter how we are, no matter how much money we give, no matter, no matter how many good deeds we do, no matter how many times we attend church, we cannot earn salvation. It's not possible. But we have a God who can accomplish the impossible, and He sent His Son, Jesus, to do just that. To save us, to rescue us, to to save us from the idols of our hearts, to turn us from the temporary and turn us to the eternal. Jesus can save us from the idols of our hearts. That's good news for every single one of us. The third thing that we see in this text is this. Jesus has more to offer than the idols of our hearts. Jesus has more to offer than the idols of our hearts. And I know, yes, we're talking a lot about 
finances. We're talking a lot about money because that's the context of this. But please don't miss that we're talking about so much more. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about a Savior that came to rescue us. We're talking about a Savior, Jesus, who has so much more to offer us. So here we see a contrast between the rich young ruler and those who were sold out for Jesus. Verse 28 through 30. Then Peter said, look, we've left what we had and followed you. So he said to them, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left a house, wife, brothers or sisters, parents or children because of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more at this time and eternal life in the age to come. So Peter says, well, what about us, Jesus? We've given it up. Like we left everything we had and we're following you. So what does that mean for us? And Jesus makes a promise to his followers. He makes a promise to them. And this applies to us still to this day. If you have given up anything to follow Jesus, you will be rewarded. If following Jesus has cost you a house, you will be rewarded. If it has cost you your family, you will be rewarded many times over. Now, it's important we don't think that he's talking about here about abandoning your families. When he says if you've left your wife or your children or your parents, uh, remember the context. It's still true in many places around the world that followers of Jesus may lose their families. Uh, We don't experience that here in America. Uh, First century, in the time of Jesus, there were the, the disciples who were listening to this truly could have been cut off from their families if they were going to follow Jesus Christ. And so he makes the promise, if, if you've been willing to give up everything in order to follow me, know that you're going to be rewarded. If you've lost your family, you're going to have many times over that when you're brought into the family of God. And that's still true today. If you lose family and friends because of your commitment to Jesus, you have a family of God Brothers and sisters in Christ that will now gather around, support, and encourage you. So you don't have to be crushed by the fact, yes, it hurts, but you don't have to be crushed by the fact that you might lose family because God will reward you many times over. If you've lost finances, there are places today where people, Christians, lose their Things that they have, they're kicked out of their homes, their possessions are stolen from them because they have followed Jesus Christ. And they're brought into a family of God that will take care of them and meet every single one of their needs. Don't worry, you're going to be rewarded, you're going to be taken care of. Not to mention the reality of the emotional 
and mental benefits of being a part of something greater than yourself. Sacrificing for something greater than yourself. Studies have been done over the emotional and mental benefits that come from people who are committed to their faith. And who sacrifice for something greater than themselves. There is physical benefits that come to that. Mental benefits to come to that. Whatever we give up for Jesus, God promises you will be rewarded. And not just in the afterlife. But you'll be rewarded now. But we get more than just now. He says, you will be rewarded many times over at this time and you will be rewarded with eternal life at the end. What sweet Dorothy is experiencing right now. She's being rewarded because of her commitment to Jesus Christ. She's in the presence of her Savior Jesus has so much more to offer to us than the temporary pleasures that we have in this world. Than the, the things that we've put in the place of God, that we've put more attention on than we should. Jesus has so much more to offer. They offer temporary things, but Jesus is better than anything that this world has. If we come to Him, if we receive the salvation that He offers, we will have Him for eternity. And so let's trust that when our hearts are still drawn to chase after and pursue things in this world, let's trust that Jesus is better. When we spend too much time and energy focusing on something else in this world that is temporary, let's remind ourselves, Jesus is better. Let's remember that. He is the true treasure and He offers us so much more. Last point. Jesus was committed to rescuing us from the idols of our hearts. Jesus was committed to rescuing us from the idols of our hearts. This, in the time frame of the gospel message of Luke, is in the last couple of weeks of Jesus' life. Uh, this is just a few days from when he's going to enter into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday when he's going to be greeted by the crowds and they're going to be praising and, and, and yelling and it's so much excitement about Jesus coming into the city. We're going to be looking at that next week. Chris is going to be preaching next Sunday on that text. Uh, just a few days from him entering the city on Palm Sunday and then it's going to be less than a week later that Jesus is going to die on a cross for our sins. He's going to give up His life so that we can be saved. So less than two weeks left in His life. And He again reminds His disciples, this is where we're headed. This is what is about to take place. Verse 31 to 34, He took the twelve aside and told them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, 
everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, spit on, and after they flog him, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day. They understood none of these things. The meaning of the saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. This is the sixth time in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus has spoken about his suffering and death. Some of them have been more vague, just statements about the suffering to come. Uh, And then some have been direct that he is going to Jerusalem and he's going to die. This is the most detailed of what is about to happen. We're going into Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. And then all of these things are going to happen to me. They're going to mock me. They're going to insult me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to flog me and kill me. But on the third day, I'm coming back to life. Jesus goes into greater detail of everything that is about to happen. And it's a reminder. He knew what was coming. He was headed to Jerusalem for this purpose. In order to save us. Right? He was committed to rescuing us. And he knew how bad it was going to be. Crucifixion wasn't a surprise to him. He wasn't thinking, well, maybe it won't be too bad. He knew how horrible he was about to be treated. He knew what he was about to endure in order to rescue us. And he told his disciples, this is what's going to happen. I'm going there for this purpose. He was committed to going to Jerusalem and dying for our sins. He was committed to rescuing us from the idols of our hearts. All of us chasing after things other than God. And Jesus Christ was willing to do whatever it took to save us from those things. And in verse 34, it says that the disciples didn't understand it. They've heard this before, uh, but they still don't quite understand it. They can't get their minds around this reality. That this guy that they have been following, that they believe is the Messiah, how is it that this is going to take place? And it says it was hidden from them. So in one sense, it, it seems like the text is saying, like, God didn't want them to fully grasp what was about to come. And that could have been because maybe they would have tried to stop him. No, we're not going to Jerusalem. You can't do that. That could be because he was wanting to strengthen their faith after they see the resurrected Jesus. uh, And they they finally realize, because they do realize that the gospel tells us after his resurrection that they remembered. Like, remember when he said those things? Whatever the reason is, they didn't fully understand what was about to take place. But what Jesus says here, again, is that He was committed to rescuing us. Right? Our hearts, because of sin, every single human being, our hearts, because of sin, are bent towards things that are not God. 
We treasure things that are not God. Every single one of us. And yet, imagine this. God loved you. God loved you. God loves you so much that he wasn't content with that. He wasn't like, okay, you want that to be your God? Fine, you could have it. No, he was committed to rescuing us from the the things that we're chasing after that offer us no hope. He was committed to it. He sent His Son to die for you and for me in order that we could be saved from those idols. So we could be saved from the things that we selfishly keep putting in place of God. The things that we have treasured in this world over God offer no hope. And yet God was committed to rescuing us. Imagine the depth of His love to do that for us. Imagine the depth of God's love that He would send His Son to die for a group of people who were constantly chasing after other things than God. If you have never given God His rightful place by forsaking the things that this world has to offer in order to come to Jesus and receive salvation, today's the day for that. Today's the day to say... I want something that is real hope. I want want eternal life today. I want the real treasure, not the fake treasure that always leaves me a little bit dissatisfied. We're all guilty, every single one of us, of putting things in place of God. But God sent Jesus to rescue us. And so if you want to know more about the salvation that is available because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for you, I would love to talk to you after the service. I would love to have an opportunity to share the depth of God's love for you and what Jesus did in order that you could have eternal life. But church, let's also remember And let's recognize we are still daily tempted to put things in place of God. Sometimes they can be really good things, and yet we can start to treasure them more than the Lord. Let's ask God this week, show me. Show me what it is that I'm I'm treasuring more than you. Show me what it is that I have... Uh, sinfully elevated to a place that it never should have been. And then let's ask the Holy Spirit, help me. Help me put things in their right place. Help me treasure God more than anything. And yes, this text did talk about finances. And so let's continue to be a generous people giving back to God, giving faithfully to take care of the needs of others as a way to demonstrate the love of God. Let's remember, church, Jesus wants our whole heart and He's worthy of it all. Let's pray. Father, You are good and You have been so faithful to us. 
Help us today as we're confronted with this text of being reminded that we can easily put things in your place, God. And we can make idols out of things that never can satisfy. Help us treasure you. Help us see Jesus as our true treasure that is better than everything and that is worthy of all things. Keep turning our hearts back to you. God, we need you to work in us to produce this. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.